look around for the problems that you can't tolerate. Because that disgust or that dissatisfaction that you're going to feel when you see something in your immediate surrounding that's not quite right or not quite how you would do it, that can be the call of God inviting you to step into how He wants you to transform the world. Welcome to Rise and Lead. I'm Benjamin Lundquist, and this podcast is all about personal growth and leadership. My goal is to help you grow and lead better. From one leader to another, let me speak my heart. You are sitting on more potential than you realize. Right now, your gifts, abilities, and opportunities are not being maximized to the fullest. I'm not criticizing where you're at or all that you have accomplished. What I'm saying is you have more in you and you know it too. I want to help you release that potential. In this episode, I sit down for a power-packed conversation with Gina Creek. She is the director of the Leadership Institute for Advent Health, one of the largest healthcare networks in the world. During our conversation, she dives deep into her journey of discovering her purpose, who impacted her life the most along the way, and how you can maximize your leadership potential right now. The Rise and Lead podcast is designed specifically to motivate and equip you to live your greatest life with maximum impact. We are going to find out what makes great leaders great and how you can start growing yourself, rise, expanding your impact, lead, and living the life you have been created to live. I want to personally invite you to be a Rise and Lead partner in spreading the word about this podcast and all the episodes that will follow. So together, we can reach more people. A listener wrote in this week and shared this message. The podcast spoke right into my life. As a leader, I looked like I had it all together on the outside, but on the inside, I was dying. And you challenged me to make a huge pivot in my direction. I can't thank you enough for the hope and solid content. These messages mean the world to me. As a Rise and Lead community, we have a few exciting things to celebrate. The first is that this episode is episode number 25. There are 25 episodes of great content to help people grow and lead better. And the second thing is that Rise and Lead has reached 80 different countries. And I can't thank you enough for all your support. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can get all the episodes that drop every month. Rate the podcast. I'm always going for a five-star rating. If you think that Rise and Lead deserves five stars, I would greatly appreciate that. 
leave a written review about how the podcast has added real value to your life. Your reviews, they matter. And finally, share about Rise and Lead with your family, friends, and your social media network. Screenshot this episode and send it to someone. When you do that, you are helping someone else rise to their next level by connecting them to an episode and make sure that when you share about the podcast on social media, you tag me. I will always try and give you a repost. I like to start each episode with prayer. So let's pray together. God, we are claiming your presence and your leading in our lives. Call us to more, more connection with you more intentionality, and more impact. Bless this episode. May it speak into someone's life in a profound way. Amen. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Gina Creek. It's so great to be here. It's an honor to be invited and included, so thank you for the invitation. Advent Health is a nationwide healthcare system. We have hospitals in 10 different states. Our world headquarters is here in Orlando, which is where I live and I work at our headquarters. We employ about 80,000 individuals across the United States, as far west as Colorado, as far north as Wisconsin. We have hospitals in Texas and Georgia, Kansas, and Florida. And yeah, it's been amazing to be a part of such a impact to communities, to the health of communities and bringing the message of wholeness everywhere we go. And Gina, how does Advent Health stack up size-wise with other healthcare systems in the United States? Oh gosh, I wish I knew the actual number. We are on the top. Ooh, so we know that we are the largest Protestant healthcare system in the United States. Um, There's a few Catholic health systems that are a little bit larger, and there are a few for-profit health systems that are a little bit larger. I don't know if we're in the top 10 or if we're in the top 20, but we are up there. And then it also depends on what you measure, like how you measure it. Because if you're actually measuring, we are the largest healthcare system when it comes to the number of Medicare patients that we see. So it just depends on, are you talking about our revenue year over year, the number of patients that we serve year over year? So it depends on which list or how you're measuring it, but we're we're up there with the top healthcare systems. I'm familiar a little bit with healthcare and then my dad was a hospital administrator for years Mm -hmm. and has worked for a number of different systems. So some of the experience of just being in that environment of healthcare is familiar to me because a lot of my family let out in administrative roles in the healthcare field. Mm -hmm. One thing I know about Evan Health is that you all are very passionate about developing leaders. And you actually serve as the director for the Leadership Institute of Advent Health. Unpack that for us. What is the Leadership Institute and what role do you play in that platform for Advent Health? Sure. So the Leadership Institute is actually fairly young comparatively. Um, we run the leadership development that scales across our organization. There is some leadership development that happens in local regions or local markets that are sponsored by that local leadership team. Um, But anything that is going to go out across the entire system comes through my office. So we run programs 
We have an executive leadership program. We have a summer internship program. We have a residency program. We're getting ready to launch a training that's actually going to go across to all 6,000 leaders that's introducing something we call the leadership framework for how to lead in Advent Health. You know, Advent Health really distinguishes itself on our culture and our focus on mission. Our mission is extending the healing ministry of Christ. And so we believe really strongly that that mission and the culture that wraps around it is brought to life by the leaders. And so we try, whenever we're going into a new market, we're building a new hospital, or whenever we have to replace a hospital CEO, we do not like to go outside of our organization to find those leaders because we want somebody who actually lives and breathes our mission and can bring it to life. Because we actually use a lot of language around our CEOs. We call them, they're our chief executive officer by title, but they're our chief spiritual officer by role. When they walk into a hospital, they absolutely need to see it as a business that they need to keep running, but they also need to see it as a mission that they're extending into every community that they find themselves. So for us, the Leadership Institute um, is that corporate-led and sponsored entity to help ensure that a pipeline, that a healthy pipeline of leaders is always available to the system, both to maintain what we already have going, but then to also satisfy our really aggressive growth strategy. We, we see ourselves as being even bigger than we are today. We see ourselves expanding into new markets, taking on new business lines, and you need leaders. If you're on the kind of pace of growth that Advent Health is on, the one risk that you run is diluting your mission focus by just getting so big that the mission and that vehicle of mission or the underskirt of mission doesn't keep pace with how expansive you get. So the Leadership Institute was created four years ago when our then CEO, Don Jernigan, retired and handed the reins over to Terry Shaw, our current CEO, and Don Jernigan, he has since passed away, um, but he has a legacy that lives on within Advent Health. All through his role, he actually, in a previous life, he was a college professor. He, he did a whole bunch of really amazing things, and he never lost that vision of being a teacher, of being somebody who leaves a legacy of leadership. And when he retired, he said, I still have more to give. There's still so much that I think we can focus on especially around leaders. And so he established the Leadership Institute. We are in our fourth year. We started with just him. He was the Leadership Institute. And now we've grown. We have a team of about 10 full-time individuals, a few part-time individuals, some contractors. And then we have a huge network of connection across Advent Health. They don't have formal reporting relationships to us, but we partner to bring leadership development to life everywhere, in every corner of our organization. Just you sharing that, I'm very passionate about the leadership development and about growth. And you said a couple of key things that I think are just important when you think about developing and growing leaders in that the aggressiveness of your growth strategy should be connected to the leadership development strategy. So if you're going to be really aggressive about growth, you want to be really aggressive about developing 
people into effective leaders. And you said something that I would love to lean into mm-hmm. that Advent Health grows its own leaders, yeah. leaders that understand the culture, leaders that understand the mission, leaders that have been developed within the system. Tell me about that because I fully agree with that idea, but talk to me about your approach that Advent Health grows its own leaders. Yeah. So there's so many like facets to that, right? So one of them is before the Leadership Institute was established, there was, and there probably still is some thinking of, oh, where there's a lot of academic and other kinds of organizations external that this is that leadership and leadership development and and research around leadership is their only line of business. So why wouldn't we just go to them or why wouldn't we just send our leaders there and get them trained by the best of the best when it comes to leadership? And our thinking is that our culture is what animates our appetite for leadership. So what we need to do is keep our focus on what our leaders need to look like, be like, embody, practice, needs to be as married to our mission and our culture and and our ambitions, our strategic ambitions. And one of the interesting things is, so I used to work in a university and I think university work is amazing. Being an educator is so critical, especially in this time. But one of the things that I always, and I guess maybe I didn't even know that I was missing it then because I didn't know any different, was there something very distant about being in a classroom and studying subjects in silos, right? This idea that you're going to come to this classroom and I'm going to have this thing that I'm teaching you, but then I want you all to apply it in your context. And so I'm teaching you in a context neutral kind of way. And I'm going to assume that you're going to be able to translate these concepts into your local organization, career, et cetera. So that's, that's kind of the construct that you run into in education is you're taught generals and then it's up to you as the individual to translate it into your field. And when I came over to work in a corporate setting where, gosh, I don't have a classroom necessarily. Instead, I have leaders who are in real leadership roles, who are facing real leadership challenges. I don't need to talk in general or in wide sweeping language about what they need to do or how they can overcome. We can talk in particulars. We can bring research and evidence-based practices of good leadership, but then help them to actually figure out how it applies here. So that same principle of the difference between being an academic institution that is context neutral and just sort of teaching you the pure ideas versus being an entity that's embedded within an organization that can be as close to those operators or as close to those leaders as possible so that we can breathe the same air as them, that we can see the world the way they see it, and then have that perfect tool ready for them when they need it most. Because the leadership development, you're getting me all riled up, Ben. In leadership development, it's one thing to talk about things in theory, and it's another thing to actually apply things in practice. And the biggest challenge that people face is you read a leadership book, you listen to a podcast, you go to a conference, and you are fired up, and you're like, this is going to change my life, this is going to change my practice, this is going to change my outcomes, and then you go and you get confronted by your culture, your context, 
your objectives, your stresses, your pressures, and it all kind of unravels. And the beauty of Advent Health saying, no, 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 we want to keep the Leadership Institute as close to our operations and our strategy as possible is that we can, in just the right time, in just the right way, in just the right amount, provide those pieces of development to the leaders while they then apply it immediately. And when you get me going about learning, learning happens when I confront a gap in my skills, ability, knowledge, or whatnot, and I start looking around for what is it that can get me over that gap or through this barrier or something. And if I can access that right tool or that right piece of knowledge or that right activity at the right time, that is more likely to embed itself in my practice of leadership. And it's actually going to change who I am rather than it just being sort of a theoretical head knowledge, but no practical application. Being in the Leadership Institute allows me to make sure that we pull the best from theory, but we make it as practical as possible. And that's what I hope we're able to do within Advent Health into the future. So you really are developing your own leaders within the context of your own leadership development laboratory that you have created, Mm -hmm. where you're challenging people, as you said, to see those gaps, to look at how do you span the gaps, build those bridges, but you're doing it in the here and now because you are working with your employees in the laboratory of leadership that you have created around that. I love that concept. And I think you're so right. Often when we go to a leadership conference, you hear somebody share something inspiring from a stage and they are sharing a learning from their own laboratory of leadership that doesn't always translate seamlessly to our own leadership laboratory. And they may have learned something over five or 10 years that they're sharing in five or 10 minutes. And then you go back from that conference and the laboratory is different and the context is different. So I love that idea of this Leadership Institute being a laboratory for leadership Mm -hmm. development that while people are doing their jobs, you are developing them into leaders that hopefully can contribute to the Advent Health Organization long-term. I just think that is such a powerful concept that wherever you work, wherever you serve, you have a responsibility to grow your own leaders. And it may mean the best candidate is outside of your organization, but you should at least have some options within your organization for people that can fill those key roles because you are developing your own leaders. Mm -hmm. So a minute ago, you talked about, hey, hey, Ben, you got me going. I'm getting passionate about this. Tell me this, Gina, and I feel the passion that I hope everybody else does too. You really care about leadership. And I think you really care about the difference that it makes for an organization, but ultimately the difference it makes through a more effective impact to the community and on the lives of people. Where did your passion develop for leadership, leadership development? Talk to us about the doctoral program you're doing right now, but where did this passion come from and where did leadership first pop up on your radar? Yeah. Oh man. I don't know if you want the short version or the long version because there's both. So you may have to rein me in because it's a story that I love to tell. Because frankly, I spent many of my formative years not 
using terms like leadership and really not seeing myself as a leader. And so you go back and you meet Gina in middle school or you meet Gina in high school. And I love to be what I call the person in the room but not in charge, right? Like I was on a basketball team, but I was never the captain. Like I just wanted to be there. Like I didn't even care if we won or lost. Like I just wanted to be on the team. And when we would nominate class officers or student government in high school, like I always wanted to be in the room. So I think I would get nominated to be things like, they would make up roles, I think for me, so that I I wouldn't feel left out. It was- Gina was the sergeant at arms. And I have no idea what that means as a class officer role, but that was me. I was actually sergeant of arms of my senior class. And and I had no idea what that role even meant. And I thought to myself, I guess I just break up fights. Like (laughs) if there was a fight. But then um, you could actually do that. I don't even have the capacity to do that. Like that's not an option of mine. I'd be like, oh, look, there's a fight going on. Hmm." So funny. So that I think by my senior year, they, they let me be class pastor, which is super fun for like alumni. They're like, so are you preaching? And I'm like, mm, no. So yeah, so all through high school, I was the vice of this or the co of this or the assistant of that. And I loved it, right? Like I just, I love being in there, having ideas, working hard, being a part of a team. That was my vibe. And then I got to college. And honestly, what's really fascinating to me about my own call to leadership and my own road to leadership was, well, there's two things. So my senior year of high school, my English teacher, Darshell Worley, I know she's a Pacific Northwesterner, so shout out to Darshell. She assigned us to read my very first leadership book ever. It was a part of our senior English class, and it was called Jesus CEO by Lori Beth Jones. And we had to read it and journal our way through it. And so that got my juices flowing as an internal landscape of like, oh gosh, what impact did Jesus have? What impact might I have? What impact might calling from him have on my life? And those sorts of thoughts. But I still didn't see myself as a classic leader in the sense that I hear a lot of people talking about today. So then I start college and, you know, a freshman at Union College, I had like three different odd jobs around campus and was just kind of like holding it down, a little homesick, a little lost, if you will, like trying to find that new identity of who am I in this space and who am I going to become? And I remember second semester, my freshman year, I had a friend who was already working in campus ministries and she was like, struggling because she was like, ooh, I'm a volunteer coordinator. I'm supposed to be connecting students with requests from the community and all these things. And I was like, oh, that sounds like so much fun. Let me help you. And so I started working there without even getting paid. And she and I decided to plan, this is the long version. So if you need me to tighten it up, let me know. So she and I decided to plan this weekend because we had gotten a call from a a shut-in. I need my house cleaned. Can you bring a group of students? And so my friend Melissa and I decided to get up front at Sabbath school on Saturday morning and just advertise. Like, like we had gotten a call on Friday. We're like, hey, can we make an an announcement in Sabbath school? So we made the announcement. We're like, anybody who wants to come tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., like, come on out. And so lo and behold, like the next day, there were so many people. There were like 20 people who showed up. And the president of the university showed up too. Wow. And so we took this group of 20 kids to this shut-in's house and we cleaned it all. And that lit 
a fire in me. Mm. And it was this amazing sort of switch that got flipped in me where I was like, this, like there was something so compelling about making a difference for an individual by harnessing the power of a group and transforming how people saw themselves because everybody that was with us was like, I was just going to sleep in today. I was just going to do this today. But instead you created this opportunity for us to transform somebody's life. And it was that like, I look back on that day and I was like, I had no idea. I was just having fun with a group of friends and sort of catching a spark for making a difference. And it was after that, Pastor Rich, who is still the chaplain at Union College, said, hey, Gina, do you want to come and work for us? And I was like, uh, that sounds amazing. So he hired me as the second volunteer coordinator and we worked the rest of my freshman year in campus ministries. And then I have to credit probably everything else that's happened in my life to Pastor Rich, because at that point in time, I still did not see myself as a leader, but he started talking to me in the language of helping me to see leadership within me. He mentored me, and I don't know even that he would call it mentoring because it just oozes from who he is. It's just his style of living is finding leadership and fueling it in people around him. So he gave me an opportunity. And then what he also did was he pushed me way beyond my comfort zone. We were getting ready. It was the end of my freshman year, getting ready to go home for the summer. And he said, Hey, Gina, will you take responsibility for running Project Impact next year? So Project Impact at Union College is the one day that we take away from school. We cancel all of our classes and all of our students and all of our faculty and all of our staff go out to different agencies across Lincoln and do work. We do a whole community service day all as one community at Union. And it is a huge, huge job to undertake that. And I was a sophomore. And he was like, but I think you can do it. Just come like three weeks early and we'll hand everything off to you and you can run it. And once again, I knew that I was in charge, but I still wasn't convinced I was a leader. And I have a tendency, and I don't know if it's just my relationship with Pastor Rich or if it's just a little, I'm a little precocious or or what it is, but I sat down and I had this debrief with the person who had run it before me. And I said, okay, what went right? What went wrong? How can we fix it? How can we make it better? And so I created this very elaborate like structure. I was going to put people in place and these people were going to work with these teams and they were, there was going to be reporting relationships and like, and it was just for a one community service day, but I created a whole org structure around it. And I go into his office and I'm talking about, he's like, great, try it, see how it goes. Well, I have to tell you that first year, it was a complete failure, not complete. He wouldn't let me use those words, but in my memory of it, it felt like a complete failure. 80% of it went without a hitch. It was amazing. Everybody loved it. But there were two or three sites where we didn't send enough volunteers. And I fielded those phone calls personally as a, I don't know if I was 19 or if I was 20 yet, but I felt really responsible. And when I knew this group is going, they asked for 40 individuals and we're sending them 10, that's going to be a problem. And when that phone call came in, I was like, no, that's on me. Like that lies on my shoulders. And so I absorbed all the heat of that and what it did, like it destroyed me from the inside out because I wanted this to be such an amazing, impactful, perfect kind of day. And it was 
in that moment, for me, it was an utter failure, like an mm. utter failure. I remember, like I took the phone call. It was literally during the pizza feed afterwards. I was on a cell phone. I walked back to my dorm room. I climbed up onto the top bunk and I cried for like two hours because I was like a shell of a human being. And then I get a phone call from Pastor Rich and he's like, hey, come to my office. Let's debrief. So I'm like wiping my tears and like walking to his office. And once again, I think that literally this day, like this moment sitting in his office with me, like in my mind, I was confessing all my sins and my failures and my shortcomings and how I had screwed up. And he looked at me and he said, Gina, this is what leadership is. It's falling down and it's figuring out what do you need to own and what are you going to make better? And he's like, this is a learning moment. This is a moment where you're going to stand up, wipe your tears off, and you're going to figure out how to do it better next time. And I don't know, once again, I don't know if at the time I was like, ooh, this is what leadership is, sign me up. Or if it was like, you're right. I can do it better. I can figure out what went wrong and I can pull more people into it and I can listen more deeply and I can, I can call them back and I can apologize and I can figure out how do we want to fix this for next year? Because we don't want to lose you as an important part of this. And, and once again, like it was just like one of those identity shifting kinds of moments. And so I fell in love, right? Like I fell in love with these opportunities that I was providing for other people and inviting lots of people to come together and do more together than they could ever imagine doing on their own. And so I did a whole bunch of other things in campus ministries. By my junior year, I was SA president at Union. And once again, like I remember, these are just like hardwired things. I was sitting at one of my first sessions with my team. And at this point in time, when you get elected to SA, these are people who are leaders, right? I'm no longer leading just teams of people. Like I'm leading leaders. And I looked around the table and I realized how precious the gift that I had been given by Pastor Rich for the mentoring he had provided for me over the last three years. Every time I fell down, every time I tried something new, every time I succeeded in something, he was there to help me interpret it and reinterpret it and add it to my collection of lessons that I was learning. And so many of the people sitting around the table had that hunger and spark to have impact, but had never been mentored in the way that I had been mentored. And I realized that's what I get to do. Like I, once again, this was another clicking over moment where I was like, oh gosh, it's no longer my job to plan all these things that SA is in charge of. It's my job to pour my life into the lives of these leaders and to be that mentor and that person who is saying, no, 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 you're a leader. This is happening not because you're a failure. This is happening because you're a leader. And what are you as a leader going to be doing in this moment? So leaving them in the driver's seat and giving them that autonomy and that responsibility and making sure they feel empowered, but not without support. So I spent days... My executive vice was over the Senate and he wanted to revamp our constitution and our bylaws. And I'm like, bro, let's do it. So like he and I would have like all nighters where we're like scratching out stuff and rewriting it and thinking about, okay, how are we going to assemble and how are we going to get quorum and how are we going to do all this? And then my social vice, like she wanted to have two banquets and we had only ever had one as a university. And so like, how can we get the funds and how can we get these? And like, 
it was all their vision, right? Like she wanted to do that. He wanted to do that. Like all these people had amazing things that they wanted to see happen. And I got to be the person that was at their elbow, giving them those tools that they need to be successful because my tool chest had been filled Mm. by Pastor Rich. And that honestly, I was like, oh, 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 like I don't just love being a leader. I love teaching leadership. Mm. And it was like this revelation. And so then the last layer, I know this is once again, like this is still 15 years ago, so you should be very afraid, Ben. The last layer of it is I was getting ready to graduate from Union College. So I was an education major. So I had to do student teaching. And Pastor Rich was like, why don't you work for me part-time? You don't need to take a ton of responsibility on, but why don't you help me put together just like a binder? Like I had done this for all the roles that I had had before. Like I would assemble, like, this is the job description. This is the history of it. This is how you're successful at it. And just like make these artifacts that I could leave behind. And so he's like, well, why don't we do that for all of campus ministries? Like, let's, why don't you sit down with every single person that we have here and let's write a manual for how we do campus ministries. I'm like, easy peasy. Cause like I can schedule that around my student teaching. Like I can do all this stuff. It sounds great. And once again, I'm a little audacious. So I did these interviews and we had 37 people working wow. in campus ministries at the time. And they were all reporting directly to Pastor Rich, right? So I interviewed them one by one and I, I created like an interview sheet that I had. I still have them. I've been cleaning out my house and I found all this stuff. And so I asked them all these same questions and in my audacity, like I walk into Pastor Rich's office and this is after like, I've been working for him for five years. So maybe that's why I could get away with it. I was like, Pastor Rich, we can do one of two things. I can write down all the stuff that we're doing right now, or we can fix it and we can write it down in the way we should be doing it. And mm. he was like, he was mm. like, Gina, that's interesting. Tell me what you, tell me more. Cause that's his just, that's just his style, right? Like he's like, most people would get defensive and be like, no, what we're doing is perfect. Stop, <laughs> stop thinking like that, Gina. But he didn't. He was like, tell me more. And I was like, Pastor Rich, when I asked every single one of these people, like, why does campus ministries exist? And here's the thing. We had had a mission statement for years in campus ministries. We were all real clear what our mission statement was. But when I asked the question, why do we exist? Every single person had a different answer and they weren't always complimentary. And what we started to discover is that people were working in silos and the student missions person wasn't necessarily seeing their work as being related to the Vespers person because they saw them, well, we're working with a different group of students than you are and we're doing this and we're doing that. So you had all these pockets of really wonderful work going on, really effective ministry happening but there was no power of team. There was no collective center and there was no shared purpose. And so I was like, I think that we need to start putting people into groups and have a little more structure. And I got introduced during this time to the inverted pyramid where you put the leader at the bottom and you put everybody else above it and the energy of the organization flows up. He loved that. And so we're like, how can we do that? Anyway, So then he was like, well, why don't we find out what other campus ministries are doing? And so me being me, I just like got a list of all the chaplains and their phone numbers and just started calling them. And I would like leave messages and be like, hey, call me back. And and then I would ask, do you have job descriptions? Do you have an org chart? Who do you report to? How much do you budget? And all of these things. And people started asking like, Gina, we're fine sending you this stuff, but why do you want it? Like, and I was like, oh, we're just wanting to put together like a binder for campus ministries so that we can do things better. 
And because I still had a few people I hadn't connected with, Pastor Rich invited me to the chaplain meetings that they have every year. So I was just sitting in the room while they were all talking about all the chaplain's issues that they talk about. And I was just taking notes so I could just learn. And somebody like all of a sudden makes this motion. He's like, I move that we hire Gina and send her around to all of our campuses so that we can learn what everybody is doing. And then we can all benefit from Mm -hmm. it. And I was sitting there and I was like, "Um, yes, please. That sounds amazing. I would 100% do that. And then they seconded it. And then Pastor Rich was like, okay, we're going to have to apply for these grants and we're going to have to get some funds from the NAD and from the GC. And we're going to try to see if we can put it together and make it happen. So my first job out of college was spending two years traveling. At the time, we had 13 different universities and colleges across North America. So I spent two years traveling between all of them, spending two weeks at a time at each campus, interviewing all the campus ministries employees in one given school year and trying to figure out what are the things that make certain programs, structures, and things effective and successful. And everybody thought, including myself, that I was going to come out with a very programmatic list of what it required. You have to have Vespers and you have to have this. And, and if you do Sabbath school this way, everybody will come, right? Like, like the answers to these age-old questions that everybody in campus ministries always asked. But what I found was profoundly different than that. Profoundly different than that. We found, you know, and we called it like 14 different things across the study, Sometimes they were the threads of success and sometimes they were the pillars of success. But it was really like a recipe of ingredients that everybody has access to, no matter your resources. It was, it was budget neutral. It was context unspecific. It was about how clear is your vision? How much student involvement do you insist on? How much team building do you engage with? How much leadership development do your campus ministries leaders get access to? And is there formal mentoring or not? So it's, it's about having that clear vision and purpose and getting all the people in the room, like all the classic leadership things. I had no idea at the time I graduated with a math degree. So like I had no idea what I was doing, but that set my life. I fell in love, fell in love. And then I went to teaching and I discovered I was not in love with that. So anyway, so then I decided to get my master's in org development to kind of prepare me for, because my whole thing was nobody would ever pay me to do that. Like I was doing this thing as a favor to Pastor Ridge and like, because I was kind of the right person at the right place at the right time. But this is not like a career, like nobody does this for a living is what I thought then. So I got my master's in org development, taught a little bit more. Then my husband moved us down here to Orlando. And I said, babe, can I please take a year to try to find a job that's not teaching? Just find something that might help open the door or get me closer to leadership development. And at the time, it was called Adventist Health System, their IT department was looking for an organizational change management specialist. 
And I had taken change management classes in my master's degree. So I'm like, I'm qualified for that. So I applied, I reached out, they rejected me. Initially, I actually got the rejection email. And then somebody who knew me reached out to somebody that was hiring and said, just interview her. Like, I get that she's a teacher, but just give her a shot. And my first boss in Advent Health, like, continues to take credit for me to this day because he's like, and he loves to tell the story. He's like, I saw your resume and I threw it in the trash. (laughs) So, so good. And then I got a call from HR. They were just like, okay, we're doing somebody a favor. Just like give her a call. And he said on that call, he's like, I knew, like, I heard your heart. I knew that you needed to be a part of our team and the energy that you were going to bring. So yeah, so I joined IT many years ago and helped with our new hospitals as we were bringing them in, get them switched over to our clinical systems. But I got to help our leaders in leading those initiatives and learn a lot about what it feels like to run a hospital because I'd come alongside those leaders and support them in those moments. And then IT was looking for somebody to start leader development. So I started a whole leadership development program within IT. And then, yeah, got called over to the corporate office to run a couple of things there. And then here I am 15 years later, I still remember, and my sister-in-law remembers this clearly. She was with me at Union as I was starting to like, dive into leadership and start to read books like I had like an obsession with leadership development. And and it was during the time where I was starting to train other leaders. So I wanted to like strengthen myself for that job, for that work. And she's like, are you ever going to do this professionally? I was like, who gets paid to do this? And now 15 years later, she is a member of my executive leadership mm, program. Mm. So she comes through the Leadership Institute. And she, she walks in and we have this like beautiful entryway where the words Leadership Institute wrap around this wall. And she walked in, she's like, Gina, the Lord knew who you were going to become and where you were going to be able to go. And he has been preparing you for this for a very long time. Like, who is it in college that starts reading leadership books, even though they're a math major? Like, who does that? Oh, Gina does that because the Lord and the call that has been placed on my heart and the work for which I believe I was created to do was planted in me long before I knew where I was going to end up. So that was way a long answer. So I'm also working on a doctoral program in leadership and learning in organizations. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not me preaching now, Ben. You need to calm me down. The uh, you know, I, I want to say whether that was the short version, the, <laughs> the middle, long, or the long, long. But thank you for doing that because I I think that there are so many times that we see people that are successful in their niche of influence, and we, without hearing it, can't reverse engineer the journey as to how they got there. We can't understand that it was the book that somebody gave you that all of a sudden opened up your eyes to what leadership could be. And I, I just look at your journey and I know Pastor Rich personally, amazing. Like everything you said about, everything you said about him, if he ever, I was, and I was toning it down too. (laughs) Everything you said, it is the truth. I mean, he is just wired to empower people. And when you look at reverse engineering your journey to now doing your doctoral work at Vanderbilt, and now you're leading the Leadership Institute for Avon Health. Mm -hmm. It started with somebody planting a 
bigger vision for what life could become in you through a book. And then as those doors are open, you saw a leader give you an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that opportunity turned into a new identity where you begin to see yourself as an actual influencer of people. I love what you said that your heart really got going when you saw that by you bringing people together, a group of people could do more than a single individual. And I've got a good friend who runs a massive 60 to 75,000 person event every couple of years. And he always says, we are stronger together. But I think that idea of seeing yourself as a leader and then as you grow and progress, you become a leader of leaders yeah. and then you become a leader organizationally and then you became a mentor developer of other organizations. And it's just amazing. And I, I think it's pretty safe to say that if you thought back to being that sergeant of arms in, <laughs> in high school, you would never have first, yeah. foresaw that you'd be running the Leadership Institute for Advent Health and that your sole responsibility would be developing and providing support to thousands of leaders every year. I think that's just an incredible journey. And it speaks to the power of mentorship, Mm -hmm. you know, that often God uses another person to unlock what you always had within yourself, but you could never see within yourself. And I think that's when I talk to people about leadership as well, I think there are so many people, if not the majority, they don't ever want to call themselves a leader. Like they feel like a leadership is about positions and it's about titles and they just can't see themselves in that role. But it takes often the voice of somebody from the outside calling out what God had always planted on the inside and then through opportunities, bringing those gifts and that potential to fruition where it can continue to grow and develop. And, And now you're in a position where you speak that life into people. And a lot of people in this beautiful laboratory of leadership development that Advent Health has really created with you that will have a legacy that will go on for years and years and years. I just think your your story is inspiring. So thank you for sharing that. I feel like I feel really compelled to tell the long story because the short story makes it sound almost too clean and too crisp. And especially the young crowd, like the students that come through that are still in college and they're taking an internship and they asked to meet with me and they're like, how did you get to where you are? And there's a way to tell the story that I think is actually really discouraging where it's, yeah, I got my degrees and I applied for these jobs and I worked really hard and I got here. And then there's the truth, right? And the truth is that there was a lot of winding roads and there was a lot of wilderness experiences. Like I spent four total years in a classroom teaching math. And here's the thing, that was a ministry and I loved it. And the students that I met doing that and and the impact that I had there was fantastic. But I knew doing that, it was not who I was born to be because I had had an experience right after college where it was like, I'm in flow. Like, this is not hard for me. This is I go home and I read more about what I'm doing every day. And when I found myself in the classroom, it was, you know, I was teaching calculus. I'm teaching differential equations, but I'm going home and I'm studying about leadership. It felt very far away. It felt very, very far away when I was in that classroom. And 
And for me, once again, it's so easy for people to look at Gina and be like, oh yeah, she did a couple of things in college. She got these degrees and of course she's going to be here. And there's not that of course when you're in the middle or when you're in the Mm -hmm. wilderness or when you feel far from your potential or when you feel far from your passion or when you feel far from who God created you to be. So anyway, so that's, thank you for indulging me in the long version, because I think the long version is just more authentic and real. And I think so many people, Gina, are going to find encouragement in that aspect of your story. And it's safe to say, and I could look at this from my own journey, but even in hearing your journey, and I think that's shared by a lot of people's process of development, it's messy. And it's not a smooth jump from one chapter to another. It's messy and it's wrestling and it's Mm -hmm. doubt and it's fear and it's going back to God and wondering like, what are you doing? And I I think that's the reality of walking by faith, stepping into that purpose, aligning yourself with God's calling is that you know what you know when you know it. But you often don't know five years down the line or 10 years down the line. And what what would you want to say, Gina, to anybody who's in that space of, I know God has more for me and I want to align my life better the way that I've been created. I love what you said. I want to figure out what I have been born to -hmm. do. What would you want to say to somebody who's just in that, they're in that wrestling space of, this isn't fun. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not fun, but even though it's not fun, I know there's more than what I'm experiencing right now. But what would you want to say to somebody in that space? So there's probably, there's categories within that space, right? Because there's the category of person that I probably relate to most. And that's the category of people who have tasted and seen and know where they'd like to be, but they're not there today. And then there's the category of person who's in that zone where they say, gosh, I haven't found it yet, right? Like I haven't had that spark. I haven't awoken that deep connection to purpose and calling, right? So, and there are two different messages to those two different people. If you know, like if you were in the wilderness, like I was in the wilderness where I'd had this sort of season of my life I'd been through where it felt almost ethereal, where like nobody will ever pay me to travel around the country, to speak at leadership retreats and to collect research on leadership teams. Like that was the story I told myself. And so it was like, enjoy these moments while it happens. And then when I found myself in the math classroom, I would daydream about how far away that felt. And so to the people who have had the taste but don't know how to make it their life's work, their vocation. They don't know how to fit it in with all the other stress and things that are going on with them. My advice to them is I never stopped. Like what's funny is like I taught in two different educational settings. So I was teaching in this tiny, tiny little high school for one year. I had all these math classes that I was responsible for teaching and I had a study hall. And I, after about two weeks, asked my principal, what would you think if I turned my study hall into a leadership development class? And she thought I was nuts because she was like, that's supposed to be your planning period. You're supposed to use that for something else. But I just couldn't. Like I needed an outlet for all the things that I was doing. And I saw these students like at my fingertips who would benefit from seeing themselves differently and thinking differently about their lives and their impact and all these things. So she gave me permission to do that. And I did it. 
And then when I was at the university, once again, like I was in the math department, but I reached out because we had a leadership department on campus. And I said, hey, if you ever want a guest speaker, if you ever want this, you know, I wrote this book and I, I have these certifications and I've got this degree and let me know. And, and they plugged me in here or there. But that's probably the place where I felt the farthest. And I felt, and so what I did to fill that aching, because we ache, like I feel like when we are not in the place that God has called us to be or in the place that he's created us to be, we feel that loss, that emptiness, that absence of purpose and fulfillment and, and being close to his heart, right? So when I felt that, I filled it with lots of, Like I read voraciously during that time. I was paying for myself to go to conferences. There was was no connection to my vocation, but I didn't want to lose touch with this world that I had found to be full of color, even though I was living a life professionally. My personal life was amazing. So let me shout out to Greg Creek. He's the most amazing husband in the world. Um, But my professional life felt very black and white, and I really missed the technicolor that I had been in before. And it was helpful for me to say, I'm here for a season and I'm here for a reason. And how am I going to make the best use of this wilderness experience? I have a completely different message for people who feel like they haven't yet found that place where their heart comes fully alive. And my message for them is go beyond your comfort zone. Say yes when you're tempted to say no. Continue to try on new things new people, new places, new experiences. I had no idea that being a volunteer coordinator and overseeing Project Impact was going to ignite leadership in me. I didn't know it, but I said yes. I said, that sounds like fun. It's with a person that I care deeply about. It's, it's a thing that I feel like I could help doing. It wasn't the act of cleaning her house, right, that transformed my life. It was the power of seeing the impact that you can have when you're willing to be the one to stand up and say, come with me, right? So what if I had said no? What if I hadn't gone into Pastor Rich's office that day and said, we've got some problems we need to fix? Like, look around for the problems that you can't tolerate personally, because that disgust or that dissatisfaction that you're going to feel when you see something in your immediate surrounding that's not quite right or not quite how you would do it, that can be the call of God inviting you Mm -hmm. to step into how he wants you to transform the world. For me, and this is going to sound really silly, for me, it happened to be organizational structure. Like, I interviewed these 37 people and I was like, this doesn't make sense. This is inefficient and it's ineffective and it's antithetical to what we say we want to be about. That sort of salt in my wound, that sort of like gritty, like how unacceptable it felt to me. Looking back, I'm like, Gina, that was God pushing on you. That was the Holy Spirit calling you home. So this happens naturally for us in our programs, right? We have college students that come and spend the summer with us in Advent Health. And they're always so stressed because they're like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And they're like freaking out. And I'm like, just be quiet. And when you see something in Advent Health, because we are an imperfect organization, when you see something that we're not doing well, or that you think could be done better, or that kind of grates on your 
observation of it, like, in, and you just feel like compelled to want to do something differently. That's the first foray into finding where you belong. Mm. Because I believe if we find problems that ignite energy within us to go and solve them, then that energy will propel us forward no matter how many different solutions we have to try in the middle of it. So pay attention to the problems that that you can't shut off at the end of the day. Pay attention to the things that you see in this world that you can't tolerate anymore and then start putting your toe into that arena. And as your toe goes in there, you will be caught on fire and you won't ever be able to douse it. That to me, so a lot of people come to me and they sit across the table from me and they say, Gina, I want to be a leader. And immediately I know that they've got it wrong. They've got it in the wrong order because you don't say, I want to be a leader and then go look for where you want to lead. You find something around you that compels you, that captivates you, that, that enthralls you, and then you engage in it and leadership comes out of you. Leadership mm-hmm. is something that is not a construct that we build up and then insert a problem into later. No, no, no. You have to have a calling or a, a grander purpose around it. And you're like, I can no longer sit by. If it's going to take me to lead in order to see this change, let's go, right? Like, let's get on it. Let's get in this. Let's get this done. I've never been one of those people who say that you're a leader in all contexts, in all situations, or in all people. Like leaders aren't born, leaders are made. Mm. And leaders are made for particular callings or works or what have you. And the things that inspired me to leadership wouldn't have inspired anybody else. And frankly, that's why when I look back, I'm beating up on high school, Gina. But when when I look back to when I was in high school, like, I was pretty chill. Like there wasn't a lot of problems that I cared deeply about, which is why I like to be involved, but I didn't want to be in charge because I didn't care if our banquet had red balloons or blue balloons. Like those kinds of problems didn't engage me. Like I didn't care about them. And it wasn't until I found a problem that I cared so deeply about that you wouldn't have been able to put a lid on my leadership. It was going to come out no matter what happened. So, so I see, I see that people who feel far from that aren't necessarily all cut from the same cloth. I think that's a, that's such a powerful challenge for people that look for the problems. And when you find a problem that resonates, you're going to find your passion and your greatest impact in life is going to be at the intersection of your passion and the gifts that God has given you. I've said this to groups before too. Ask yourself the question, what breaks your heart the most? Because often what breaks your heart the most is what God is calling you into to create change. And it's interesting that when you look at the most impactful leaders, rarely does anybody start out with the vision to become a leader. They they start out with the vision to make a difference in a problem area they care about. And as they serve in creating solutions to that problem, they naturally become an influencer in that space. And for me, what you boiled leadership down to is leadership is influence. And I think you find that influence that connects with your heart when you find that problem that really gets you going. And like hearing 
hearing about you leaning into those particular areas, I think that's just great counsel. I think there are so many people that maybe they want to go right to the title or right to the position. And the challenge is you may be going after a title or a position that you're not even created for. And so look for those problems, look for the ways that you can serve and get involved and find out what resonates with your heart the most. Mm -hmm. And if you find something that gets you passionate, please lean into that space and don't overlook it. There are times when, for me, God has had to bring back those opportunities because I didn't see it the first time. He's got to bring it back time and time again. But if you, if something really moves your heart, lean yeah. into that space and mm-hmm. look for those problems that you can lean into with your gifts and your abilities and create change. Gina, your story has been inspiring, you know, for well, all of And like the one thing that I would add is, so sometimes when people like you and I who get like really into this and we get really passionate about it, like when we talk about it, it makes it sound like it has to be this grandiose thing that captivates somebody or that makes them want to lean in. No, no, no. Like you can care really, really deeply about a balanced spreadsheet and that can be your jam. Mm. And you know what? Like accountants can be leaders. And you know what? Graphic designers can be leaders. Start to think about the problems that lie behind the things that you're really good at. And for me, like I was a math major, right? I have the funnest time with people when they're like, Gina, we want to do what you're doing. What's your secret, right? And I start with, well, I was a math major in college and it like nobody ever expects that, right? Because they're like, oh, you're saying we have to go and study calculus. And I'm like, No, but there was something really interesting for me about this connection between math and leadership development. Because for me, the thing that I love about math, the problems that made me lean in and pay attention and care about it, is I loved how hard it was and I loved how complex it was. The more complex math got to me, the more I would lick my lips and just like eat it up, right? Like I just loved complexity. And then I discovered the complexity that leaders get to face. And I was like, you're kidding me. There's something harder than math. Awesome. Like sign me up. And I think some people are like, okay, but what if what I like is really simple or it's really basic, or it has nothing to do with making the world a better place. And it's like, that can still be the call of God. Like you don't have to need to like be called to a mission field or called to ministry or called to be on a stage or called to be all these different things. As you're experimenting and exposing yourself to a lot of different areas, sparks will come in things that feel mundane to other people. They will feel technicolor to you. And that is okay. You can lead. And this is where I have so many colleagues and friends who are CFOs and who do that with such grace and agility and beautiful leadership, but they talk for a long time. I never thought of myself as a leader because I didn't see how my skills could lead to leadership. And that's where like, I really want to disrupt that thinking. I really want people to stop equating leadership with a very narrow definition of people or application or expression because leadership is technicolor and it's all the different things and it can come from anyone in any space. So anyway, that's the only thing that I want to make sure because I get very flowery in my language and I don't want people to think like, oh, if we don't want to be 
in leadership. And anyway, that's my caveat. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And if you thought Gina about Anything you've written, it could be articles, things for your doctoral program. If you had videos out on YouTube training, if all that stuff was to disappear and we could take your message and really boil that down, what is it that you would want to speak into leaders or what would that primary message from your life be for the world? I'm not good at boiling down. You should know that at this point in time, that bo- boiling down is not really- hey, if, if you If you want to give us two or three, we'll, we'll take two or three. That's okay. Let me tell you where I'm at in this moment in my evolution of thinking about leadership. I don't know that it's where I'm going to sit and stay, but it's what's really compelling to me right now. It's a bit of a departure for me. So when I first- became interested in leadership and started reading about it, I defined leadership at the unit of the individual. And I was really compelled to dive in and understand what are the actions, behaviors, personalities, and traits of an individual that will help equip and make them better leaders. And I still think that 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 is interesting and important and compelling work to do. Where I'm at in my doctoral studies and in my personal exploration of leadership is exploring leadership as a shared activity and seeing the unit of the team as where leadership Mm -hmm. takes place and no longer overly emphasizing or over glorifying what we call the hero leader. And that to me, so I don't know that I know precisely how to translate that for your listeners or for the people that are out there, but I really want us as a society at Advent Health as an organization, me in my expression of leadership within my own team setting, I want to stop seeing the unit of leadership as me and me alone. I want to start understanding more deeply The power that comes in sharing leadership in what we call fluid role systems. In other words, seeing leadership as activities that can be enacted by all members of the team. In fact, what I'm studying right now, the the concept of my dissertation is studying a team as it's forming. So we have identified a team of a hospital that's not built yet. So they're meeting regularly and it's right in their first stages and understanding what are the participative and interactive things that happen as a team comes together and how does that team enact leadership to bring culture to life? That's really where my fascination is at now. So if I had to delete all my knowledge of leadership up to this point in time, what would I choose to focus on right now? It's that. I think it's especially hard, and maybe I'm going to get a little too philosophical. I think it's especially hard for us who have grown up in American society because we as a community love the story of the hero and we always paint the hero as acting and enacting leadership by themselves. So you think of Michael Jordan, or you think of Abraham Lincoln, or you think of these examples of people that we 
we make them our heroes and we always examine them, the individual, instead of looking at the system and the team and the culture that surrounded them and that they were a huge part of. Like there's no denying the power of these individuals within their context, but we miss so much of the story when we ignore everything that's around them. So right now, I'm falling in love with the team that we have assembled within the Leadership Institute. And sure, I have a role to play within it, but when we come together, everything gets better. And that's not a lone wolf. That's not a maverick. That's not the, you know, we call it the great man role of leaders. It is, how do I assemble the right people, equip them fully, and let them loose. Like, how can I do that and let that be the leadership that I embody and the leadership that I welcome other people into? Because I, what I have found for myself is as I shift my focus from what do I need to be doing and who do I need to be to what environment do I need to create? What opportunities do I need to extend? What motivation do I need to create in others? And I become so others focused. We far surpass not just what I was capable of, but was what I was capable of dreaming of. And that to me is just the biggest Like that's the area that I'm exploring today. Like I'm no longer interested in reading books about the five tips for how to be a great CEO or how to be the great unit of leader. I'm only interested right now in all the research, all the evidence, all the literature and all the compelling books that talk about team leadership and how to achieve that. So that's my spot right now. (laughs) In light of that passion you have for team leadership for For somebody who is on a team or leads a team, what Mm -hmm. would you suggest that somebody do in the next 24 hours that could move them closer to that that successful team approach to leadership and creating change? Yeah, I would actually encourage people to sit down and start writing. I think the power of getting inner thoughts out on paper so you can reflect on them specifically as it relates to, they can journal about everything. Free writing is really important. And I think that's the most, that's the most powerful leadership development tool that is readily available to every single person in every single place where they are. If they specifically are excited about an idea of creating more spaces for teams to enact leadership, I would ask them to talk about or write down what is the best team that I've ever been a part of? What did we do? What did we accomplish? How did we act with each other? How did we treat one another? And then to turn their attention to what's the worst team that I've ever been exposed to or involved with? What did that experience lead to? And then compare those two head to head and challenge yourself. How can I create more of that best team environment in every space that I occupy? And how can I diminish the bad teams within my sphere of influence? How can I eliminate it altogether if I have that capability within me? But I think it all starts with journaling, any free writing that you've got going on. If teams is where your heart is at, answering those two questions and then seeing where the Lord leads you from there. 
last thing I'd like to have you define for us when Gina mm-hmm. Creek thinks about a great leader, how would you define a great leader? Well, I feel like I've already answered this question because for what is it now from the year 1998 until now, my definition of a leader has been synonymous with Rich Carlson. Like he is a legend and I feel like he gets, and he would hate me saying all of this right now, by the way. So I hope you send it to him and I hope it makes him angry. Oh, gets, it's going to get to him guaranteed. Good, good. Because he gets mad every time I give him credit. But Pastor Rich to me is the definition of a leader. And he's the definition of, of a leader because he is the person who has, no matter how long he's been in power, no matter how influential his position has been, he is the first one to give power away. He will mm. take anything that anybody gives him and he immediately, without keeping any for himself or doing anything with it, he takes that power and he just channels it right into the people that are around him. And he has the ability because he believes so deeply in the students that are surrounding him, in their potential, in their God-given abilities, in their calling. He has no problem just filling them full. I mean, he talks about empowerment all the time. I think it's even more powerful to actually say it's taking power and it's giving power away because he gives power away in really compelling ways. And then he does this amazing thing where if he had had any say in it, I would have never felt the heat that I felt, but because he couldn't avoid it because I would always like (laughs) dive into the heat. He was always there. The number of times that I was in his office crying because of another leadership failure I had walked through or another difficult circumstance that I was coming up to, the number of times that he would remind me, Gina, this is what leadership is, I think really transformed me and my understanding. And the more I'm exposed to people who didn't have a pastor rich in their life, the more I realized the gift that I was given. Because I was always empowered by him, but I was never abandoned by him. I never fell down without him explaining, this is what happened. This is why it happened. And then him asking me, so what are you going to do now? And he never said, okay, now this is what you need to do. He was always like, okay, yeah, that was not good. What you going to do? And it was like, ah, there's nobody that's going to give me the answer. There's nobody that's going to solve this for me. And it just built leadership muscles over time. But it built leadership muscles in a way that I can authentically, like down to my core, know that leadership is in giving power away. Mm-hmm. In the choice of saying, I might have the position and I might have the authority But what I'm going to choose to do with that is to extend it to everybody around me. That doesn't feel foreign to me because I saw it modeled in him and I got it reinforced through all my mentoring with him. And when I run into other leaders and that's the first instinct that I come to of, well, gosh, you can just empower them or gosh, you can just help them out. They're like, what? Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I realize that so many of my leadership instincts are instincts or my habits because of how he invited me in and raised me up. So I can't say enough amazing things about Pastor Rich. He gets all the credit every day. 
he is without a doubt a legend, and I'm going to make sure that this episode gets to him multiple times. <laughs> multiple good, times. Good. Have it forwarded. Have him tagged in it. Hashtag. I don't know if there's a really cute hashtag that we can get for Pastor Rich, but I think there needs That's, to be a hashtag. Maybe we should hold a little competition about that oh, hashtag, and let's see. Like, could we become the hashtag PR Nation? Is that? But oh. that probably is, it's probably already out there. So maybe we have to say the Pastor Rich Nation and have everybody who was impacted by him like start to post. I love it. I love all it. the things to just see how far. I mean, because his impact is unbelievable. Mm. I was in a Sabbath school the other day, an adult Sabbath school with people who I've been going to church with for a long time. And somebody asked the question of who has mentored you? And of course, of course, I said, Pastor Rich. And there was somebody who was like, you went to Union, you know, Pastor Rich. I was there these years and I worked in campus ministries. I had no clue. I've known this woman for 10 years. I had no clue that she was part of the hashtag Pastor Rich Nation. So mm. <laughs> I think you got the uh, hashtag right there, Pastor Rich Nation. <laughs> That's it. Gina. He would hate it so much. He would just like <laughs> reject it right from the get go. So yeah. He'd never forget it. Gina, thank you so much. I want to just thank you for laying out your story with authenticity. And I think this, your story and what God has done through you and how he has led you is going to be an inspiration to so many people. And I I hope there is that listener out there that maybe has never viewed themselves as a leader and they're going to hear your story. And maybe for the first time, they're going to let that, that calling sink in that they do have passions for a reason and they do have gifts for a reason. And there is a plan and a purpose and a calling for their life. I'm excited to see the next five to 10 years of the Leadership Institute blessings as you finish up your doctoral work at Vanderbilt. And Mm -hmm. Gina, if there's people that want to get in contact with you or they want to find out about the Leadership Institute at Advent Health, let us know. How do people connect with you? Yeah, they can just send me an email. It's gina.creek at adventhealth.com. Super easy. Gina, thanks again. It's a privilege to have you on the Rise and Lead podcast. And thank you for using the voice that God has given you to impact so many. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been so much fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Gina Creek. Again, if you want to reach out and get in touch with Gina, her email address is gina.creek at adventhealth.com. Make sure you screenshot this episode and share it with someone and post it to your social media accounts. Make sure you tag me so I can give you a repost. Look for new episodes to drop every month. You won't want to miss those. Thank you for taking the time to invest in yourself. You are worth it. Remember, the best time to rise and lead is now. 